Welcome to Full Metal RPG, your all-around role-playing podcast featuring myself, Brendan, and my co-host, Ben, here on this most brutal of role-playing podcasts. So it's su- super brutal. And uh, it's the weather outside has been kind of like grim and ghastly this week here in Arizona. It's been raining and gray and... Um, very not Arizona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sort of a nice change of pace for what what we usually uh, get around here. But um, we will dispense with talking about the weather and get into talking about I don't know. Well, you know, we'll kind of we'll kind of warm this one up a little bit. So I mean, what's been going on with you, man? Anything? Well, I mean, I got things going on in my personal life. I mean, like I'm trying to eat healthier and like you know, yeah, um, work on some things that make my make my life uh, essentially uh, last longer. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, send some longevity there. Yeah, exactly. It's that time of year when people are like revising their 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 fitness routines and whatnot. And um, you know, I'm kind of I wouldn't say I'm a gym rat. I'm a gym guy. I mean, I definitely like rushed home from the gym today to get this episode rolling. And um, kind of interestingly, one of the things that um we have kind of upcoming for you is uh, a friend of the show uh has a um webpage he calls um, Metal Health. I think it's metalhealth.com. You can find it on our Facebook. I've definitely posted about it uh, by this point, and I'll post about it again. Uh, he uh, just released a um, workout guide aimed at the the metal listener. And um, the uh, interior illustrations um, are gorgeous and beautiful by another friend of the show uh, who goes by the handle on Instagram of uh, Dark Wizard Berserker. And um, uh, we're very excited on some level to have received a copy of the PDF. Um, it's available only in PDF now. And uh, Ben and I are going to give it a shot. We're going to, like, lift some weights. We're going to – I mean, I lift weights. And I lift weights anyway. But we're gonna, both going to lift some weights, and then we're going to review the, the program on the air, as well as the music that is corollary to the workouts. And we'll see how they, you know, how they match up, how they all match up and how we feel about it. So, it, it to my understanding at this point, it's a 14 day program. So, um, that's something to look forward to. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of running. I've been running. I've been I'm in the gym more, of course, you know, cause you got to work off those stupid December pounds, but I kind of started working off my December pounds in October while I was still putting them on. And, um, I've been eating better, been eating a little better, sure. Um, uh, what else have I been doing? A lot of drawing, a lot of drawing going on. Um, yeah, I was just remarking, I think, right before we started this, how I really liked the uh, the drawing from uh, episode five of the podcast. Yeah, but that wasn't mine. That was Amanda's. Oh, that was Amanda's. Yeah, Amanda oh, drew wow. that. Amanda drew that. that. Yeah, no, episode, epi- I, if, if we have a guest on that's, that's art artistic, then I like to have um, them, I, them I totally draw. Misspoke. I'm sorry, Amanda. I yeah. liked your drawing. Yeah, was, that's Amanda's drawing. I mean, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, episode four, which uh, that was drawn by Adam, and uh, episode five art was drawn by Amanda. Um, both of the respective um, guests for those episodes. Oh, okay. And we ha- we we do. I have been making some some kind of deals. We do have some more guest artists coming on. Not necessarily people who. Um, 
are going to be like on the show, but they're going to be contributing some art. So from, from some very talented people who I know from the Instagram community, I think that's something to look forward to as well. Uh, I guess mostly I'm mostly I've been kind of like stoked to start vampire, which we are going to be character starting creation on Sunday, vampire, the Requiem character creation on Sunday. Uh, this is the, we're taking the, um, game that I ran for the, uh, iron GM. We're spinning that into a, a chronicle that will be a once a month chronicle. So it's going to proceed very slowly. Uh, it's a like hard bitten LA noir. It's a gritty crime story about fucked up people who have nothing to lose, who are trapped in a world of vampires. So we'll see, see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. So, uh, why don't we talk a little about that? What, uh, what are, what are we, uh, going to start out as characters? Well, um, so what I'm really encouraging the players to do when they sit down to make their characters is to, is to dispose of any knowledge that they might have of Vampire the Requiem. I don't want people thinking about character about about clans. I don't want them thinking about covenants. I don't want them to be thinking about like, well, how's this city structured in terms of its power dynamics? That should be completely not on your minds, like at all. What the gist of it is 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 you're 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 a human being, okay, and you know that vampires exist because you've been kind of like either coerced or seduced or pressed into service, um, by them. But you have no understanding of their greater culture, you have no understanding of their greater society. You just know that there's vampires, and the the, the premise is based on this this novel I was working on while I was living in Los Angeles. And I, I really kind of, um, what I was doing was I was trying to think about Renfield, right, um, from Dracula, and how really the way that everybody gets drawn into the story of Dracula is that you have this being who is completely incapable of um, navigating the modern world. So you have great power that is balanced by an inability to navigate society and so what you have to do is you have to find these proxies if you if, if you look at if you, if you create sort of like a dungeon ecology for the vampire a vampire has a lot of personal influence but has no ability to create societal influence unless they work it through proxies so in order for vampires to, to wield the kind of like wealth and sort of like um societal structure that you see in a game like either Vampire the Requiem or Vampire the Masquerade. It requires like a legion of human beings like constantly spinning their wheels because like, you know, Elysium or whatever has to have electricity, right? But the electric bill isn't in the prince's name. It's in it's in somebody's name, somebody that he controls for sure. But it can't be in his. He's the guy's been dead for 200, 300, 500 years, whatever, right? So that just that idea sort of cast into the sort of long-running sort of novel idea of the the L.A. noir, which is really like the classic San Francisco L.A. or like the Raymond Chandler, like Philip Marlowe kind of um, stories, sure. you know? Sure. So the, these these vampires in, in my world kind of um, operate like a criminal syndicate would. Where they have because all of this stuff that they need to get done is illegal. You know, they need the the it's it's all books that need to get cooked, it's all bodies that need to get buried. You see what I'm saying? So and the kind of people that need to do this are people who are morally dynamic and and on some level kind of desperate. 
And I've disposed of the mechanic of the blood point being taken from a De- Demeter character. And I've created a mechanic where um, the characters are compelled by um, uh, an addiction to blood that they traffic in as though it's a narcotic. And so basically that's the character premise. That's the, that's the pitch. Is you have okay. to you have to create like a low level criminal character, like a soldier, right? Who's 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 found their way into the service of one of these of this of this kind of like cabal of vampires. And now you're kind of stuck because you're addicted to this thing that you can't get anywhere else and you've done all these horrible things for them. And I mean, they're certainly not going to let you go. And the, and the question is, is like, do you want to leave? I mean, do you even want to leave? And like, where is that going to go? And um, I think that I mean, there were, the the reason that this never really panned out f- as a novel idea was that it it um, I always got to to this block where I I stopped letting the characters just be the characters, as I explained in a previous episode. And um, what I'm really excited to see is what happens when the characters get into this environment because I'm sure it'll be unpredictable. It'll be completely unpredictable. And like I was, I was talking to Heather about this, and I was saying like you know anything can happen. It's the world of darkness, and if the characters all want to decide, are all like you know fuck this, we're done. We're just gonna get on a plane and fly to New York City. We're gonna fly, we're gonna fly to Berlin. You know what I'm saying? That's great. Like fucking fly to Berlin. I want to know what happens if your characters do that. <laughs> like as as you're like getting the shakes on the plane, and then you like touch down in Berlin. The first thing you guys are thinking is like, oh, how do I get some vampire gotta blood? Score. Yeah, gotta score some vampire blood. Where are the vampires in Berlin, and how are you gonna get the blood? You know what I'm saying? Because I mean, that's that's the story that I really want to tell, right? There. Okay. So I mean, like, I I've, I've pitched this game as a re- vampire the Requiem game. It's not really a vampire the Requiem game. It definitely is set inside the world of Vampire the Requiem, but the game itself is. You're a criminal in the thrall of vampires, and then what happens? You see what I'm saying? I do. I do. That sounds uh, sounds great. I look forward to playing in it. I'm I'm stoked. I'm stoked. That that one session I ran was like the best session I've run in years. So I mean, right on. I uh I guess I I guess I need to start thinking about what it is I wanna wanna do on Sunday, huh? Well, it's Sunday, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. coming right up, and I haven't really given a proper pitch to uh, Amanda or to uh, Jonathan, and they're both and they're both playing. So, um, I mean, there's gonna be kind of like a lot. I think there'll probably be a lot of talking, a lot of hemming and hawing while we're the first time we've uh, role played with Jonathan in a while. First time we've role played with Amanda in a while. That's actually it's uh, been longer, I guess. Yeah, it's been even longer. It's been even longer. I can't wait to have both of them back at my table because it's been it's been too long. Let's just say it's been too long on both accounts. I agree. This will be fun. So, um, you know, it's been hard to kind of focus on my Out of the Abyss game with so many vampire games coming down the, the pike. I really consider myself a, a vampire uh, guy first and foremost. And um, I feel like the Out of the Abyss game has been kind of suffering. And We've talked about this, right? Yeah, like, well, I, mean, I mean, you and I have talked about this. We haven't talked about it with, with our, our friends. No, I understand. I, I, I think that, like, the type of game that you want to run, right, what we've been doing in Out of the Abyss, it really can't be. You know, we're this sort of like, we're traveling all the time. We're sort of like in between like a quest. That's not the game that, that, that really appeals to you, I think, as a GM. What, what, what Ben's referring to here is the, the, is the way that the first uh, act plus the beginning of the second act of Out of the Abyss are structured, which is everybody's captured in a prison and then they escape and they have to get to a place and when... 
which and, and the, which the we're plays, still not there yet. The plays that well, no, no, hang on. The plays that you are getting is essentially a waypoint that you can then use to jump off to a, an actual place that you would want to be. And then there's more travel, and only after you've done that travel, you get to kind of like where you want to be. Now, in Out of the Abyss, it sort of assumes this kind of Zelda-like thing is going to be going on, where you're kind of bopping around to different castles and talking to different people and, and then we, and we just don't role play like that that's just not what we do no i in fact i'm i'm looking forward to when we finally get to the city that we're trying to get to um as a character i think that it'll be a lot of fun i uh i have some plans um and uh i know that other characters have some plans and uh i think that we have a couple npcs that i want to use in those plans and uh you know sort of create a home base for us in uh in this Mantaldareth, this waypoint that we're like on our way to. Yeah. And um <clears throat> I think I think I, I it's not just to create a home base, but I think also to sort of uh end up at the point where we wield a lot of like power and influence over um that city. Well, I mean, we just can't not we, we just can't not play vampire no matter what game we're playing, right? I mean, well, but but the, the the focus is different, right? Because the reason why I want to own a lot of power and influence over that city is because I want access to information about that, about like we about like, you know, I don't know, like hidden treasures and relics that we can like delve for and like increase our own like mystical powers. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> and um, that's why I was saying I think that my bent and um, Jeff's bent and as as uh, as Baracus are together, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, I really feel like Baracus and Sejin and Meng Hao are going to get along very well and that they're going to create a party. And um, in, the, in the session, um, Baracus was kind of like talking to Kale and kind of recruiting Kale to be like part of the team and part of the plan. Had you uh, spoken to him about that or was he doing that on his own? Oh, he did that on his own. That was really well done. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you know, Jeff's good. Jeff's good. Jeff's good at what he does. And um, I mean, I... So on some level, like as as a GM, I'm I'm gonna. This is my confession here: is I haven't. Ben is being very generous, and he's saying that he thinks it's the nature of the adventure. But I think it's that I haven't been working on the game hard enough because, like, when I consider being like the most successful fantasy game I ever ran, which was as you guys are probably sick of hearing about now, uh, Pathfinder: Council of Thieves, I put like an in- intense amount of work into the fucking game, like every single week. I was probably working on that game like ten hours a week before I played. And in this game, I usually kind of like glance at stuff for a couple hours before I, before I start playing, and and that has meant that I haven't, it hasn't been immersed as as immersive as I would like. It hasn't has been in, in depth. The characters haven't come to life in the way that I want them to. The environments haven't come to the life in the way I want them to, and there just has never gelled like a feeling of like investment in the game. I mean, I could walk away from I could walk away from Out of the Abyss like this week. I could just if if everybody kind of would like sent me an email or took me aside and said like, "Yeah, we're not really feeling it." I'd be like, "Ah, okay. We'll play something else." Fine, you know? I could get jazzed. I could I could it's it I could get more jazzed about a different game right now. See, it's it's clear to me like when we were as as like a as one of the players, right? That like um I think you you've enjoyed maybe a couple sessions, right? Sure, there've been three or like, four. Like, well, three. Um, Let's say three. 
session. Like you liked the session where the uh, demon lord rose, right? That was really fun for me. Yeah. That and, was that fun was fun for you guys too. Oh, no? sure, sure. I'm not saying it wasn't. Um but they were because they were these sort of like fixed points that you could like that that gave you something to sort of latch onto because you knew that it was providing like hooks for the future. Mm. You knew that it was like it was a sort of like singular event that like was happening. Um, so you could, you could, you could feel like invested in it as a storyteller. Um, but I think that the problem, what we have right now is that you as a storyteller don't really feel invested in this sort of like traveling that we're doing. No, I don't. And and that's, and that's really, and that's really the problem. Um, and it's sort of like, I, I almost get, get the feeling like, um, like it's, it's almost like a battle of endurance for you. At times, oh, it is where it's like it's like you want you want the underdark to be sort of like this sort of scary place for us where like, you know, like random encounters happen that are really brutal for us. And we've had some some brutal encounters. Sure. Um, But at the same time, that's not necessarily the game that you want to run. And you know, so you're, you're sort of in this weird dichotomy where, like, you're sort of trapped in that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those kind of, like, careful what you wish for, you just might get it kind of things. Like, I've always wanted to run the Underdark. I think I, st- I think we started off this podcast, me saying this. I've always wanted to run Underdark, and I've always wanted to do a lot of stuff with Drow and, like, the opportunities in the Underdark. And now here I am, and I'm just kind of like, meh. You know, it's kind of like getting to date like the goth chick at school and then you find out that she's like boring you know what i'm saying you're just like you're just like Ugh. Ugh. I, you know and i you know i i just it's not it's right now it's just not what i want to be i feel i feel like maybe if we had been running men's baranzen just the city It'd be different because, again, like you're saying, we'd be fixed and we'd, there'd be things within that. Yeah, that you feel like you could invest into like storylines that that you enjoy doing. Yeah, and I that's why that's why I'm just hoping to to sort of last here to get to this sort of city where we can start sort of creating that. Well, what what that means though is that I need to now write essentially a city book, and that's just an, a very daunting amount of work to be done in a, in a short period of time. Um. Because if you look at Mantel Derith in um, the various source materials, there's almost nothing written about it. In fact, I think the the fourth E under Dark book has a map of it, and it's garbage. There was no way I would run that actual that uh, the city as run. I I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what made Council of Thieves great, and I um, I've come to the conclusion that part of it was the um, was was not what I expected. Because I'm I'm you and I we come from that that white wolf school of like story and narrative and stuff like that, narrative structure. And I've always kind of pished poshed mechanical role playing. But one of the things that was so compelling about fucking council of thieves were the amazing dungeons that were in each and every book of that series. Um, each book had its own kind of feel as different challenges were placed in front of the group. And then that feel came to a climax inside of a dungeon for each adventure. And each adventure kind of ended with like this really this really big, complex, and thematically unique dungeon. And like there was there's one book where all the characters, the final dungeon, the all the characters are in a play. And the and so your the final dungeon is essentially you're on a stage having to fight monsters for the entertainment of a bunch of debauched nobles, 
And then in another book, spoilers, um, the climax, I mean, this is, this is, I think this is the book immediately after the book where you're in the play. The next book, you have to like hunt undead in a rotting Gothic mansion. And they're just, the tone of the story that you told, this, these little arcs to kind of get you into those dungeons, it all kind of comes together in those dungeons, you know? And it's just, and there's nothing like that in Out of the Abyss. Um, and the idea of sitting down and kind of like bending my brain and building dungeons like that, building, the, building dungeons that are just so immersive and story-driven and thematically precise has been daunting. I'm not going to lie. I'm just like, oh, holy Interesting. shit. I mean, holy shit. You know, that's, I mean, that, that is really the genius of Council of Thieves is, I mean, I, 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 I know I've plugged those books relentlessly on this show, but like, I just can't get over how good they are. I mean, here, it, it was, it was years ago that, I mean, I think those are like Pathfinder mod adventure mod paths number like 25 and 28 or something like that, 29. And now they're on like 110 or something, and uh, and like I I cannot get over how good they are. I just they they are the template for me for how fantasy should be written, how fantasy role playing should be written. Interesting. I guess I I guess I I'm not being present for the majority of that game. Just for the very end of that game, was I present? Um, I guess I didn't see any of that. I guess maybe I saw. Was that the one of the later dungeons? Maybe I think. Yeah. What was that thing that you guys were in? The the weird. Um, I don't know. All I remember, I here's what I remember most about that dungeon: our party fractured and fell apart. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I remember. <laughs> no, that the wasn't most. that wasn't the fault of the writing. That was the fault. No, of certainly the, that of was the, the party. Yeah, that, that was the uh, well, and then the long story. But yeah. anyway, anyway. Um, but I guess I never really thought about the uh, the sort of like mechanical dungeons oh, you're describing. That's dude. that's very interesting, dude. I mean, I think that that's why people return to games like you know, um. Temple of Elemental Evil and, uh, you know, Keep on the Borderlands and uh, uh, the Ravenloft module, the original module. And they return to those modules again and again and again, even though they're like 20, 30, 40 years old. And they're like, oh, man, these are, they're still so good because there's something about the way that it's not just like, oh, here's a hallway. And then at the end, there's like X number of orcs. I mean, that's I mean, obviously that shit's in there, but it, that's not the point. The point is that the story leads into the map and it's like this ultimate synthesis of the what you what, what some people call the fluff what some people call the crunch you see what i'm saying sure any whoosies we're almost at the 30 minute mark here we haven't talked at all about what actually happened in that game i mean we can, we can summon up we were traveling and we had some encounters i mean yeah yeah it's 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 my, it's my least favorite thing in that we're doing sort of right now though i will say that um I did enjoy the whole time we traveling. There have been an encounter or two that I've really enjoyed, um, but uh, at this point, I mean, I just sort of want us to hurry up and get to the city where we can sort of start begin begin like what I really consider to sort of be like ground zero of the story for us. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not even gonna lie, I I have even thought about like just canceling the game, having us roll new characters, new D&D 5 characters, and kind of give D&D 5, like, another shot, like, playing on the surface world and just trying, like, a more classic adventure. Um, I've thought about just saying, hey, fuck this game. Let's play Lamentations of the Flame Princess instead. That's easy enough to get going, and I have, like, tons of materials. I have a campaign setting that is, like, you know, I don't know, maybe, let's say, one-third written, and I've got 
some stuff I want to do with that. Um, let's just do that instead. But there's this part of me, like this this never say die kind of part of me that like that just just keeps like pumping this thing's chest. You know, I can't I can't I can't give up on D and D five yet. How do you feel about five at this point? Do you still feel like five is? Are, I know that like a couple of months ago, you and I were high as hell on. Oh, five. I, I'm still pretty high on five. I like five more than I've more than I've liked any. Any edition of Dungeons and Dragons since AD and D, I think. Yeah, really. Yeah, I, I find myself looking wistfully at these Pathfinder books, and I wonder if that is crazy. I wonder if I am, if 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 it's kind of like to to go back into relationship metaphors. If it's kind of like getting back together with your ex, and you're like, and you're like, oh, we had so much fun doing this, and then you get back there, and you're like, oh my god. Yeah, I, I can't say that I have the same wistfulness for it that you do. Um, I uh, the thought of like. All the like, I don't know, billion and a half feet there are, and the yeah, thought of like, yeah, like the like the the three hundred million character classes, the non balanced, the the complete lack of balance, and the way that, and the and the gaminess, the the extreme gaminess. Well, it's, it's not even the, it's not even necessarily balance; it's the gaminess that's like kind of weird, you know. These sort of like. The fact that you can like you know go on forums and see people who are like yeah we're like I ha- I do X build that looks I mean it's not even about like how gamey it is on some level because it's really gamey but it's just when you try and imagine like a character who does this how like stupid it sounds you know like these these weird sort of things that they do yeah. to sort of like eke out like the the sort of maximum amount of damage that they can at any given time yeah I mean I it it. It, I I don't have a problem with with this balance. What I have a problem with is players who, um, take advantage of disbalance, who see disbalance as an opportunity, and the way that my my, my players at this point they know how they know how I run, and they're not gonna. They know how to to, to doll something up for me. Of course, I know how to watch them too. So I know what to be to be looking for, and and then that becomes its own balancing act of like, wh- what are you trying to do here, Bub? Are you really trying to get away with this shit? And and anyway, and it's 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 just I don't f- know that you have too much worries with the players that you have currently compared to what you've had in the past. Well, yeah, no, that is true. I mean, that is true, dude. The um, number cruncher. I mean, dude, I. We have had some number crunchers in the past. We have had some straight up number number crunchers. The kind of guys who are like, "I'm going to take the flaw quadriplegic so I can get more points to put into my computer hacking that I use that I do with my mind." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're like, uh, yeah. I guess you're going to be stationary for yeah. the most part of this game. No, remember AJ? He wanted to be a quadriplegic and live in a van that was the Shadowrun game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was his. Uh, I I don't think I let him do it. I was like, no, you can't be a quadriplegic. You're in a, you're, you're, in a, you're a shadow runner. You have to be able to do shadow runs. Anyway, all right. So yeah, we did some encounters and we played D and D. Anyway, we're gonna take a break now, and we're doing a little something a little special for this one. We are uh, gonna break down all the audio gear. We're gonna throw it in a bag. We're gonna head over to our FLGS Game Depot in Tempe, and we are gonna record. Our good friend and the proprietor of that establishment, Dave. Yeah, Dave, who, uh, you know, I think is a lot of, in a lot of ways been sort of a patriarchal in, like, our sort of introduction into role-playing in a lot of ways. I mean, he's had a store that I have been visiting, I think, for, oh, my gosh, I don't even know, since I was in, like, middle school or something. I mean, we're talking, like, 
age 12 here and i'm what 36 now so oh boy yeah 24 24 years that's a long time homie so um yeah uh we'll ju- we are gonna rejoin you in just a second when we're at game depot all right hang on We are on location, ground zero, at my FLGS Game Depot in Tempe. And we're sitting here with Dave, proprietor, and longtime gamer. Dave, welcome. Well, thank you. I guess you should be welcoming us. It's your store, right? <laughs> welcome to well, your I store, Dave. I think I welcomed you guys many years ago, but yes. It's true. It's true. It's true. At the old location when you I've, were uh, by Arizona State University. I've known both of you for a long time, and sometimes that's scary, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I described earlier is I think I've I've known you since I was in like eighth grade, I think, which would put me around twelve years old. So twenty four years going on twenty five, I guess. For a lot of you guys, that that's been it, and I mean I've seen so many. People that I know that I first met either in junior high or high school, the college, that now have kids of their own, and their kids are coming here. It's scary. Oh, well, it, but good. <laughs> but I mean, their kids are like in high school or oh, college. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that would that would make that, that would make my butt. Some of them clench. have kids of their own, so multi generational. Yeah. Oh man. Wow. But I mean, you got the the hobby persists, which is what I'm happy about because there was definitely a minute where it kind of seemed like it wasn't going to. I think the hobby is always evolving. Um, from when I first started off, it has changed obviously quite a bit. But it's awesome to see the hobby to continue to grow, to expand, to include new people, to to go in directions that probably were never foreseen before or originally at least and it's really awesome uh, how, how did you uh, start off yeah yeah tell us the story man yeah I'm curious I, what was Dave's what was Dave's first game that he played or just a more general kind of how did you come to the hobby that's what I want to okay, know yeah that's true well when I was a, a kid things always fascinated me like board games like feudal which was at that point an old 3m game but I think part of the cool thing about it was it was a board game but it had these like figures that would ah, go with it. Yeah. And if, I don't know if you ever played Feudal, but you I had those not. little I've never even heard figures of with pegs on them, and you fit them in the holes in the board, and you it was a strategy game based off of that. And I thought it was it was like the most awesome game to me. And then, of course, like most kids, I, I like, well, I called them Legos back then, but so long ago that Legos were very basic. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't have the many choices and, and all the variety that you have these days but so you're saying there was no lego batman correct there was none you could try to make one but not very well because there wasn't so many round pieces or yeah, things well, like that even not very then. convincingly at the time i mean when i was a little kid it was when uh, uh medieval legos came out and i thought that that was the bomb i mean that just blew my mind the little swords and the little the little helmets you know if they would have had those when i was a kid i definitely would have thought they were the bomb too right yeah. right but a lot of my formation for gaming also was when my dad was stationed in Germany. So I got to go to a lot of different places. And as a kid, some of my favorite places was the Imperial War Museum in London, um, oh, wow. Madame Trousseau's Wax Museum, which had a bunch of historical things. I was always into history and visit castles along the Rhine River, all these different opportunities I had that were, you know, as a kid, you, you just enjoyed them. But looking back, it was it was really awesome to be able to go through all those things. Yeah, no doubt. And that is like definitely the formation of a gamer type stuff. I mean, those all of those. I would go to any one of those now. 
Absolutely. The, the Imperial War Museum is what got me interested in miniatures, which was one of my earlier loves. And of course, as I said, the things like the feudal board game there, which was kind of a combination of a board game and, and miniatures. It, it really got the mind going and, and seeing the different you know perspectives. And then I think you, I got to the point where you wanted something more than just lining your guys up in the sandbox and you know throwing rocks or marbles at them and knocking them over. Mm -hmm. That there had to be something more to that than just that. You know, I <laughs> had to come up with these rules and I, just, you know, instead of building cars or houses or stuff like that with my Legos, I built forts because mm -hmm. I had the little HO Airfix type um, figures and I would make forts for them and. <laughs> that's what was fun but a lot of that had to do with influence i think of as i said places like the imperial war museum where not only was it history but some of the coolest dioramas i have ever seen miniature based dioramas of some of the most famous british battles or battles that the british were involved in um world war one world war two was a lot of the focus when i was there and to see that all under glass was just awesome but did they have warhammer world not did, yet. <laughs> did you get to see Warhammer World? I never got to see the Warhammer World. That came way after um, I had left there. And you have to remember, I, I remember the first days of Warhammer. Lupe Chavez, one of my um, first customers for Warhammer, 1986. Wow. We got, we got it right off the boat. It was... This, it was Rogue Trader, of course, at the time. It wasn't Rogue even, Trader with the uh, pewter models, and wasn't even Warhammer 40k yet. It, w it was definitely Rogue Trader, and before they changed the name, and it was really cool. Prior to that, I'd bought the White Dwarf, but the White Dwarf up to that point was all role-playing oriented. Really, it had a lot of stories and articles about all sorts of different types of role-playing games. Had alternative this or scenarios or all sorts of things all wrapped around role-playing and it wasn't until for uh, for like a uh, role-playing in in the uh in their like what came to be warhammer setting or just no mostly D D, um ardor and grimoire some of the other um and what was cool is they covered some of to me was that they covered some of the products that weren't necessarily at people's forefront to their mind um some of the chaosium products um Mm. I said Arter and Grimoire, some of the things that were a little bit more esoteric for a lot of people, not the, it sounds weird to say it, you know, not D&D, &D, which seemed to be the mainstream, even though it wasn't mainstream at that time. But it was, for role players, it was the one that stuck in most people's heads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still winner and champion, you know? I mean, it's still the, the name you associate sure. with role playing. You know, sure, but I still think about Chaosium every now and then. I mean, that was the home of the uh, the Elric game. Yeah, well, yes, the, the of one. course. Yeah, Elric and uh, a great Conic series, Horror actually, for a while right. too, so. I, I was actually looking at some used Elric books the other day. I, there was no oh, wow. core book. If there had been a core book, I would have picked it up. But. Wow. And then um, things like Pendragon. Okay. Yes. Yep. And then another one of the early games that I played was Chivalry and Sorcery. I have never I even heard, heard of that. that one. Yeah, what? Tell us about that. Um, fantasy games. Only. It was just a medieval-based game with fantasy element to it. So were there monsters and stuff? Yeah, there oh, okay. could be. But part of the goal was to become like, if you want to be a fighter, maybe become a knight. Or, but the process you have to go through that, including going through the more traditional steps of being a squire to somebody and passing the different tests per se oh, that's interesting. to like kill a bear, you know, with a spear, you know, all sorts of different things to actually progress 
in the level advancement. And a wizard basically did nothing but sit <laughs> in a tower and study. <laughs> but of course, I started off with the basic one, which was D&D. Yeah, that was your first um, game? Yeah, it was my first role-playing game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I started to play a little bit of board games, as I said, by that time. In uh, 1974, um, during the summers, I would spend the summers at what was called Northwestern Military Academy. It was up in Lake Geneva. Um, wow. That's I read in the back awesome. of Boy's Life. This is 1974 from the very beginning. And I read in, back, in the back of Boy's Life about this thing called D&D. And then I noticed the address was in Lake Geneva. And I said, that's awesome. So I took the bus downtown uh, and I went to the address and it was his house and on the front porch was a little sign and I'm like and well, I know well, looking what? back some people might think that was it was weird but it's different well what was the sign what did the sign it say? just said it said TSR that's all I said oh wow oh man oh god <laughs> and so I walked into the front door and they had one glass case in there in the little front room they had one glass case and in it they had their original products which was Tractics which was a uh, Pretty much a World War II uh, miniatures game. A rule set for World War II miniatures. Um, Chainmail, obviously. Yeah. The predecessor to um, D&D and the original box set. Oh, my God. And sitting oh, in the kitchen was Gary Gygax, Brian, and Kevin Bloom, the Bloom Brothers. Oh, wow. Uh, they were working on some boxing game that they were developing at the time and I walked in and they said hi and I told them what I was there for and they said oh do you want us to show you and I said sure okay and so we sat down there for you know, about you, two or you, three hours you're kidding no I've never heard serious. this story wow that's Patty she's heard it many times she <laughs> wow. repeats it more so, times than so, not but. so you were just you just walked in yeah. and Gary Guy is sitting there and he said would you like to learn how to play D&D yes you gotta remember this for them too was the early days. I, but it was actually it was Gary and as I said Kevin and Brian Bloom who were very instrumental in the early development of a lot of the games too. The only one that wasn't there was Dave Arneson, who I l actually met many years later. But, um, it, yeah, wow. it, it, uh, you know it's weird how things in your life affect or interact with your future later on. I mean, who would have thought at that time that the direction I would have gone in is the direction I took later on. But, yeah, it was 1974. I got my – I had some money, so I bought the first roll set. So the next time I was I had some money, I went in there and I bought, as they started coming out, the original Strategic Review, which was the predecessor to the um, Dragon Magazine. Yeah. It was these – in fact, I still have them to this day. They're, they're a little almost like pamphlet-style things, like four, five, six pages. They were different colored to – differentiate the different ones i don't remember the order one was black and white one was green and white one was blue and white one was purple and white there might have been another color or two kind of like fanzines right yeah exactly and they would cover different things to deal with um well of course D and it's in its infancy so, so i'm curious now uh fast forward years later now okay and you're you now have a game store you meet people in the industry because mm -hmm. you go to like things where you know that happens. Do you run into a Gary Gygax later on and tell him, you know, you started me down on this path years ago? No, actually, um, 
don't recall ever running into him specifically later on. I ran into okay. um, Dave Arneson many times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know if he knows me from Adam, but, you know, we talked at different times. And like most people in the industry, you, you talk to a lot of people. But I've got to meet a, a lot of the um, different okay. designers through time. and But that was part of my early experience with gaming. And uh, so from day one, I loved um, D&D. The first miniature I got was the first original Raw Partha wizard. The one that they recreated later oh, on with man. him stretched out with his outstretched yeah. hands looking down at the, at the book, at his feet. And weird enough, I painted him orange. Don't ask me why, but <laughs> I, the robes I thought for a wizard should be orange. <laughs> cool. Um, the flights of fancy you have as a child are difficult to put your finger on later. But when you're a kid, you're, you have this certainty, right. right? But then again, I'd also say it's probably because I used Tester's paints, which were mm. uh, enamels back then. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, I went through that phase. Orange was a color that would work. Well, I wasn't very familiar. Even though I did a lot of models, back then you didn't have a lot of choices for paints. So you're, you're, most of the paints you've got are the easy ones to get were usually yeah. the tester's paints. Exactly. The enamels, you could buy them in the grocery store. You could buy them in the hobby store. You could buy them almost anywhere. It, the more right. specialized point, paints, you had a hard time finding. But you used to be able to buy testers paints at like pharmacies. Yes, you go into exactly. a pharmacy yep. and they'd have a wall of like uh, snap yeah. snap tight cars and Star Wars, you know, mm -hmm. ships and stuff like that, and testers paints next to them. You know, that that was definitely influential to me as well. You know, Th those opportunities and, and the, the early models I would always like putting together, and maybe and a lot of it may have to do with the fact that my dad was in the military. I mean, he spent thirty years in the service, and we did travel all over the world. Was military models. Tommy, yeah, the 135th scale, I, I was really into, well, being with all the experiences I had as a child with history, I was really into history. So World War II stuff really appealed to me. Modern stuff appealed to me, though at the time it was hard to find anything that was done in modern because they weren't really into that thing. They were more of the historical aspect of World War II, things like that. The military game has always been kind of fixated on the past, right? I mean, yeah. to this day, you still find a lot of uh, World War II or colonials or just, I mean, anything going past. But you'll, you're, it'd be really hard to find something based on, like, um, Afghanistan, you know? Right. And then I started, but at the same time, parallel to that, I also, besides playing D&D, &D, I also went... You got to remember the time frame we're talking. We're talking in the '70s here. Yeah. I went to a, a. I had a friend whose father was a doctor. Um. And what we did was, he always was buying a lot of different miniatures and stuff, and we went to. We heard about this group of guys that would play these board games and miniatures at the community room in a mall. One of the first original malls in Illinois. <laughs> a community Illinois. room where you could just hang out? It was out. a community room. Yeah, you just hung out there. And it was set up to do community events in this community room in the mall. Something that's kind of unheard of today because every oh, mall yeah. space has to be rented out. And, oh, yeah. You know, they, they maximize their profit from the mall. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But the, they actually had rooms where we could go and we, we would set up. And I, I had my first experience with micro armor. I had my first real experience with some of the early SPI games like Patrol and Sniper and, and a lot of those type of games which were quick and easy. My first experience with blind games. Okay. Um, and then the first game I bought after that was a game called Blitzkrieg by Avalon Hill. Do they uh, still do that? I haven't seen it in many years, but it did come out in different forms. 
but then I also started buying some other SPI games, the old folio pack ones, and some more of the Avalon Hill games, and I really got into the historical um, board gaming asset, but I still kept up my love of miniatures. I played Microarmor, um, usually World War II at the time, used rule sets like Angriff and um, some of the other ones like that. Did you hang um, on to Napoleonics, um, again, historical aspect to it. But I also had a huge, there was a, a company called Custom Cast, Heritage Custom Cast, which did a bunch of miniatures specifically based on the Lord of the Rings theme. And in one of the early Dragon magazines, somewhere in the first five or ten issues, I think it was the first five issues, one of, the, one of the little articles in there was called The Battle of Five Armies. And it was a rule set that they did for using with miniatures. And so my friend and I, um, we'd go down to the Y sometimes, and again, they would have a community room down there that we could use. We'd ride our bikes down to the YMCA, or he would get a ride. Um, and we'd take our miniatures down there, and we'd set up these intricate battles, and we'd play. And we got all these different miniatures, and we'd paint them up. And compared to today's standard, a lot of those miniatures were very crude. But, you know, as a kid, this was cool. It was awesome. I, I didn't care. Sure. Uh, but it, the thing was, is Lord of the Rings was always one of my favorite things, too. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to read The Hobbit for the first time in my honors English class, my freshman year in, in high school. Uh, from there, of course, it just snowballed. Um, the miniatures, I started putting it all those miniatures. We, we'd play these battles. We, but we took that little rule set, which is a couple pages in there, and we extrapolated it out so we could play these large-scale battles. We oh, did the Assault and Minus awesome. um, Ithil, where you, you take the different walls, and we, did, we, we had a progression where we, um, we did all these things, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean that's that is a great story. That is a great story. I mean that just I mean that takes me back to, to even to even my childhood when the when the models were a lot cruder. But to be totally honest, there was something in that that was to inspire your imagination, right? That's true. It did right. And we'll look at early role playing. I didn't have anything to really go on. I mean, our imagination. Of course, when we first started off, I was pretty young, so you know we we did the I. Oh, I gotta hurry up and get to ninth level so I can cast all these cool <laughs> spells, you know, and, and, and things like that. You know, your wizard always had to get better, or, or your, 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 this had to get better, and it was a little bit of Monty Hallish stuff. But then we started getting more into the actual role playing aspect. Mm -hmm. You know, character development, character motivation, um, and if you're running a game, always be always being prepared that your players are always going to go in the opposite direction of where you <laughs> thought they were going to go. Mm -hmm. But be prepared for it. Or know enough about it that you could do it on the fly. Use your imagination. Come up with this stuff and, and move forward from there without hitting, oh, well, i got to stop here because I don't know what we're going to do. Do you, do you still remember some of those old characters you played? By name, no. Okay. But I do remember my first character was a wizard. Okay. It, it, so this is the character that, that, that Gary Gygax helped you make? Or the first he one he helped me make was a wizard, correct? Which oh is why I got god. the Ralph Arthur wizard miniature with oh my god the book, which was the f and they made that again many years later. I, I remember, I recall them doing it, but as I said, I still have it somewhere. Wow, wow! I mean, I'm kind of speechless right now. I mean, these this is this is this is such a this this, this story is such so much more intense than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I I I'm I'm uh, almost a little uh, speechless. Yeah, yeah, truthfully. Um, so I mean, how was the game that you played with him? 
How was it? Did you have a good time? I mean, I guess it, it did. was. It <laughs> was a lot of fun. Um, you know, they were their big world that they were playing in right then was the um, Blackmore. Okay. Okay. So that was the one that they themselves were adventuring in. Of course, they didn't take me through that because they were just trying to teach me some of the basics. But they helped me set up a character. They took me through the, you know, a little mini adventure. I got to roll some dice. I got to talk a little bit about how this game is supposed to work. Got a little bit of knowledge that you do certain things. They have cause and effect and, you know, all, all these different things. And I was hooked. I got to tell you, it was, like, awesome. So... Do you consider yourself more of a player or a GM? What, what, what do you, uh, all these years later, what, what, what's your primary calling in that regard? That's a good question. I think I've gone through phases. Um, to run my favorite genre, which is Lord of the Rings-based games, where a lot of times I took information from different game systems and I put them into a system that I liked for example, I have all the ICEs, Middle Earth role-playing that was ever done, um, including some of the hard ones, because I got them when they came out. Like so you have, you Ardor, have a complete collection. I, I, the Grey Mountains, I have all the different um, source books, yeah, including the later redos where they made some changes and they upgraded them, put them in the black covers. Um, but every time they came out with anything that was Lord of the Rings, I don't care who did it, Decipher, um, ICE will being the original, Decipher later on, even the even the new One Ring game, which I think has a lot to offer, uh, were a lot of things that I, I, but I was always gathering information. In fact, I think one of the first <laughs> things I told Patty when we got married was, don't throw out any of my maps ever. <laughs> she just looked at me and goes, what? <laughs> I hand drew a map of uh, Middle Earth on this Big, big, big piece of poster board. Yeah, oh, wow. you guys can't see, but but Dave, who's an incredibly tall guy. I mean, what, what, what were you saying? You were six four? Did you say? I'm six six. Six six. Dave's six six. And if you're t talking about like you know um, uh, uh, Da Vinci proportions, he's holding his arms at like like full <laughs> wingspan. So I mean, that's he's that's the California size of of his of his, of his Middle Earth map. duty stock, so it kind of basically rolls up into a big thing and it's lasted forever. But yeah, <laughs> you still use it? For like I role look playing? at it. I don't use it for role playing anymore, but I mean I'm not gonna throw it away. I hand drew that thing. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was an awesome experience. Yeah. Because I took different map and this was before we had a lot of maps. I was using maps from, from the actual books and trying to combine them and, and, and draw these and get the areas correctly. But at the time, yeah, I used it for role playing. Here's where you're at, here's where you're <sighs> heading, here's Dude. where we're going. I bet you were a great GM. I bet you were a great GM. I, I think I've done well. I don't know about great, but I've, 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 I've always enjoyed being a DM. It's that kind of attention to detail, though, that usually makes someone a great GM. So I can only imagine. But it, as I said, it has a lot to do with a lot of factors. First of all, as, as you guys know, and I know you guys have a lot of experience with role playing. Yeah, I've been doing it for um, a while. That's an <laughs> understatement, but yes. <laughs> But it's more the people you play with than anything else. If you click with those people, 
it's an awesome time and you can work together and you move through things if you don't click it makes it a lot more difficult and a lot less enjoyable oh amen brother um, amen to that oh there, there, i've had some groups that have really ground my gears you know times that just made me think like i i don't need this hobby what are you saying no, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm saying i'm saying get out ben. i don't think he's directing that at you ben but <laughs> no, okay <laughs> not at ben <laughs> we've i mean look ben and i have been friends for what 20 years now 20-ish 20-ish years yeah somewhere in there give or take and you, you you have moments where you get on each other's nerves. You know, sure. I'm I, I am absolutely certain I've pissed Ben off. I know I've pissed Ben off. And there have been times when like I thought to myself like that guy he's done. I'm I'm never gonna game with him again. But the fact of the matter is is there's like a handful of people who I I mean I would I will always want them at my table. Always. You know they'll always have a place. And Ben of course is one of them. And there's I nothing, appreciate that. There's nothing wrong. Like I was hearing one of your earlier. Um, broadcast where you were talking about the Iron GM that that we had here, mm. and I and getting new players to start is always an awesome thing. I mean, look at my experience. Yeah. I was taken under the wing, and it's crazy to think that who of who it was and who it was. But at the time, it didn't mean anything to me. It was this guy. They had this game. It was cool. I got to play it, and only because it developed and this is what it developed, did people even seem to 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 care but you know here was someone that was willing to take a new player or someone that's never had any experience with it and show them the ropes you know i didn't play in his game for you know on a weekly basis i i didn't go back and you know run a character through his campaign but the fact that he sat down at least once and you know took the time and the effort to to walk me through it and to show me it i mean that just shows their love of the game and yeah and how involved they were and how much they wanted to grow the hobby and that's all you can ever ask of someone. Now, whether you bond with them or, 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 or stay with them as a group, that's something else. Sure. I think that's something sort of, uh, it's not unique, obviously, but it's something that definitely happens a lot, it seems like, in sort of the role-playing world. How, you how you know, the, the books themselves it's sort of like don't necessarily leap, on the sh- leap off the shelves of themselves unless they're shown to people, unless they're, they're sort of, people are mentored in the process of what it means to be a role-player. And uh, I think that's kind of, it's kind of well, interesting that. Well, hey, hang on. You're talking about being mentored as a role player, but the but I've often thought about how um, it's sort of an embarrassment of riches for people who are getting into it now, where they have things like podcasts and they have YouTube, and they have. I, I guess that's true. I was thinking about. It. I was thinking about more from the perspective when I was when I was younger, and that's type of stuff didn't exist. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess you had those guys at Lions Den who taught you how to play, right? But no, 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 no. My my first experience was was uh, was uh, was on that bus. Yeah, right, and, right. And that was someone who, who, you know, was like, hey, this is what we're going to do um, to pass the time. It's pretty fun. Uh, you enjoy hanging out with us. Come come do this with us. And I did. And it was a blast. I mean, I feel like all these years later, like we kind of taught each other how to play sure. over the years. Because, I mean, th- dude, I think back to some of those early games that we ran, and they were just, like so bad. You know, some <laughs> of them were just like just ghastly bad. And, like, but, but today you have so so many resources which is awesome but back then we had to take what was limited to what was available and extrapolate from that and to expand upon that and to be able to to grow it and, and and take it to a point where today it's wonderful because i can pick up a whole campaign that's pre done if i don't want to and still you know, most people will take that and, and, and tweak it a little bit or make some changes sure. or stuff like that. But you have whole campaigns that are done for you. You have enough 
<laughs> Patty will laugh at this. A maps to last you a lifetime. <laughs> Never throw out a map, I know. Um, I have stacks of them everywhere. Uh, but because it's easy as a DM, I mean, even if they go off in this direction, oh, wait, I got this map here. Yeah, I'll just throw this in here. So now you're going down this path, and, you know, you have something visual, too, which is always an important part for me. I've always loved the miniature aspect, you know, using a miniature for your character. Um, and that was even before I became a retailer. I know some people go, well, you only like it because you're a retailer. I've heard that before. Which oh, people not. say that? How cynical. <laughs> that is That's really cynical. It is, but I, I just smile because, no, I've always had a love for miniatures. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like I think you would you to, to get into this line of, of retail, you would have to, like, love the product, right? I mean, you would have to have a relationship with the product. Well, no, I don't I, think anybody, I, like, wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I'm going to stake my all my chips on role-playing. I, I do really love the product, and I have had a love for the um, industry for a long time. But you got to remember that when I went to school, my degree is economics. And <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. How did that happen? Because, again, numbers and, and, and stats uh. and, and things like that have always appealed to me. But I, I think, you know, one of, my f one of the sayings that I keep up there by the register is... Gaming is my business, but business is not a game. Is I love gaming and, and all the aspects that come with it. And it's, sometimes now it becomes overwhelming. I can't keep up with the games anymore. I'd love to, but I can't. But I still love to try out a new game. I still like to, to, to play something new, something different. Um, some of the guys have challenged me with new role-playing games. Um, that's how I got to try, for example, the One Ring I was talking about earlier. Um, that's how I've got to try a lot of the newer game systems. And I know, Brendan, that you love to try out some of the more what people might consider esoteric or <laughs> yeah. fringe-type games. <laughs> but some, so many of those are so awesome, and people it's don't true. get the opportunity to try those out. It's true. But even I can't keep up with that anymore. But I still love gaming. But on the other hand, running a business is still a business. Yeah. You, you have to approach it from that aspect. And early on... I've seen so many stores come and go, and some, some have been very successful, and, and a lot have not. Sure. And early on, at least, a lot of it had to do with a lot of people approaching it as a hobby. Mm. It's I a see. hobby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's my hobby. It's my favorite thing to do, so I can make a business out of it. Did, did you have a point yes, in that? Yes, you can try, but... Did you have a point in that, in that where you were finding yourself going on a similar path, and you had to sort of break away? Or was that never really a problem for you? I think there were some instances where you just, even I fell into that trap. And then I realized looking and reflecting upon walking into other people's stores and seeing what was happening, that wait, if I feel this way and I'm in this business, then how does someone who's coming to my business feel? And you're never going to please everyone all the time, obviously. And we have, yeah. we're all human. We have good days. We have bad days. We have so many different things going on in our lives. We try, but you're never going to get everybody. But all you can do is try and keep sure. on trying. Sure. Well, I mean, this store is great and it's meant so much to me, you know, me over well. the years. You know, I mean, and it, it is. I mean, is there is there a longer running store in Arizona? Is there a longer running store in Arizona? Yeah, no. I didn't think so. Some people so. may try to make the claim, but the answer is no. I did not want to make that boast for you and then have you correct me, but I, di I don't think that there's a longer There are other stores store. that were started close to when I started, but you got to remember this, first of all, is... <laughs> <laughs> for those that can't see everything as a podcast, he was getting whispered in the air there. 
<laughs> maybe some good direction, yes. Um, <laughs> but there are... Um, I maybe lose my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> no but, store older. But we were we were talking about the fact that this was originally the Flying Buffalo Game Store, which was established in 1977. Wow. So I worked in it for a, a, a while. I then went through the process of purchasing it from Rick, which was a multi-stage process. And then once I finally got the point of completing that purchase, I was able to then change the name and things like that. Rick was kind enough to originally let me use the name Flying Buffalo Games until we got to a certain point where I was able to um, move on from there. I, I never knew you guys when it was Flying Buffalo. That was uh, before the time in which I think I even realized gaming was a thing. But uh, but uh, I certainly remember remember the two stores ago, uh, two locations ago. So On the um, west side of Forest? West side of Forest, yes. And previous to that, oh, when I was working, oh, and then you and were the on the process east side of, of, of buying the store happened was when actually it was down at Fifty Second Street and um, University. Okay. After after Flying Buffalo had moved from Curry over to there, and it came to the point where Rick was interested in in divesting himself of the store, and I was at the point where I was making the decision I was either going to. I'd been running the store for a while at that point. First I worked at it, then I was managing it, and then I was like, well, I'm either going to do this on my own or I'm going to take what we have and move it from there. Wow. And, and that's how it came to be as far as me taking, taking it over. And um, it's been ever since. So what about what about uh, now? What are, are you playing anything now? Yeah, what's going on today? Yeah, I mean, we spend a lot of time. I understand kinda... that you're uh, in a game with Jeff, uh, uh, what the the dark heresy the dark game. heresy game yes. Jeff's dark oh, heresy game that it's on hiatus right that now that currently think, is on hiatus. Um, Jeff has run many different things for us in the past. the The thing is, is some of our key players. Um, one of them, who is a trainer, was a trainer for the Cubs, now a trainer for the Yankees. So he spends a lot of his time in Florida. He also went through some major health um, issues. And he's recovered from those, so which is which is wonderful. No, that's good. But he hasn't been able to come back to the game, and that goes back to I think, of we tried different people, but you always go back to that core of people that just click and work so well together. Yeah. Okay. Uh, On table chemistry. Another one has had a problems with his foot, diabetes involved. Oh, he gee. lost half his foot. He hasn't been able to be around so much. Another great player of ours moved to Texas. Oh. Um, uh. Because, which, well, it had to do what's best for his family. I, no, I, no, I it's never, true. I never yeah. would hold out against him. No, anybody. no, true. Oh, of course, of course. Um, I mean, it's just. It, but it's sad. That yeah. So it's just a lot are, of stuff has happened to that group. Things you know? are kind of on hiatus. Mm -hmm. uh, what else So you I playing? haven't been able to do a lot of role playing. As I said, my, my friend Eric um, ran a couple one offs for me and for some people to do the one ring. I played a little bit of Pathfinder. I, I, I tried. A game of fifth edition. I well, I was the the Draco Lich at an event here, so I got to hop from table <laughs> to table and, and, and play the Draco Lich. Is that for fifth? That was for fifth, yes. Really? Okay. Is that is, is that your extent of playing fifth? Or? No, I, I've actually run through some one shot adventures of it. As a player or as a GM? As a player. And so I haven't actually um, had the since I did my last Lord of the Rings game, which was probably. 
five years ago. I actually haven't had the privilege of being a, a GM for a while. That's when you were doing the MERP. You were doing MERP Lord of the Rings, right? It was, or or it was actually like D&D. Oh, okay. Oh. I was using D&D to run the MERP world, the IC okay. I, Iron Crown Enterprises world, the, their MERP basing. I had the MERP rules, but sometimes getting into that, even though it's just, I mean, everything's the same. D&D is just a percentage-based system, just like MERP is. It's just that you break the numbers down differently. That's true. Uh, on a D20, you know, each pip or each number is only, you know, 5%. Yeah. So when you're looking at something like that, it's so easy to convert. Sure. It's just numbers. And I love numbers. And Patty has a love for numbers and math. And I've always had one. Well, it goes back to st statistics and numbers. And those have always been something in my brain that has just clicked. And that's all it is when you when you take a system and again it didn't have so much to do with the system for most of the people i've played with it has to do with the group the setting the fun and enjoyment that you get out of actually playing that more so than even the rule set and i guess part of that a lot of that comes from the fact of from day one most of the rule sets were so basic for me yeah, I mean, that kind of, I, I kind of wanted to bring this up, which is kind of like, I, I don't know, are you familiar with this kind of movement that's going on in the in the role-playing community, the like the OSR movement, the old-school role-playing, and the uh, the old-school renaissance? I, I've heard the terms. i I got to be honest with you, I don't know a lot about it in depth. I've heard it. I think I've actually heard it on one of your earlier um, <laughs> podcasts a few times because Patty and I actually enjoy listening to those. Oh, thank you. Though I, I still want to listen to the one with Jeff. I haven't got a chance to. <laughs> That's a good one. I've known <laughs> Jeff having been one of my DMs for many years. I definitely would love to listen to that <laughs> one. Well, I mean, you, know, you know what to expect <laughs> with yes. that one. But um, the the OSR to me is this, is is this fascinating movement because I'm a white wolf guy. I like really kind of came into my own on the white wolf stuff and the kind of like narrative storytelling and all this kind of stuff and I, I i really feel like that white wolf movement was born out of a sort of frustration with like the kind of rulesiness that uh had had become sort of indicative of fantasy role-playing for a long time um but the osr thing is like winding things back to this very kind of like early 80s late 70s where it's very kind of like rules light and you have races as classes and there's just a few classes and uh, a lot of the adventures are more like dungeon crawl oriented and there seems to be a real hunger for it and what, what killed me what blew my mind is i started encountering this stuff at conventions because i would go to conventions to get to pick up white wolf books use white wolf books on the cheap you know or just to find rares and i wouldn't find this stuff and i was like eh, who cares you know, i hate that kind of role playing and then i just i, I got into it and I am so freaking in love with the OSR stuff now. It is like it's blowing my mind. I think that I, that I was talking about earlier, it's definitely a direction for a, a type of role player who really enjoys the flexibility and the freedom to be involved in their character development and background and history and things like that if they if they choose to do so and with the loose rules framework you don't have people well let me see on page 55 it says exactly well i grew up when i grew up and playing hey what the dm said goes if the dm said you died because you rolled that then that's what happened if 
he said that you failed your role. You didn't argue. You just like, oh, okay. Um, but that was something that we all accepted. That was how we played. That was, and our DMs were. I, there's very few times I got up and never left the table and never came back. Um, there were a few of those instances. That did happen, though. <laughs> it did happen. Okay. I, it's good. It was it's just law of averages. It, it's going to happen. It just because it wasn't my True. style of play. And a lot sure. of these happened before I was even involved in the store. In high school, there was a couple instances um, that I ran into where I was trying it out. It was hard to find people that play, but I would rather play with people that I liked and people I we could work as a group together than people that just yeah just didn't flow. I guess yeah. I'll be nice. It just no, I feel I feel you there. I feel you. Um, wow. I mean, like that is. I I just want to like capture on what you're what you were saying there. I I got into White Wolf role playing because I felt like it was liberating and that it was breaking away from sort of the end of second edition, which had become very rules heavy and kind of stagnant. I felt with like there's a million books for everything, and 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 there was something about White Wolf that seemed very liberating. But then after I don't know a decade or something of playing White Wolf and the way that the canon, as it were, kind of calcified around that game, became very source book heavy and uh, uh, emphasized. And then 3.5 had the, like, the endless source book treadmill, and I got so sick of having these conversations. I remember having uh, playing, a, playing a, um, a Shadowrun game that I felt like just got completely out from under me because I had a guy at the table who just sat there with the book open, and he just kept pounding pages with his finger, you know, like this, boom, 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 boom. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, just, it was not a fun game. It was not a fun game. And I just didn't expect to find that in old fantasy again, and uh, that, that 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 freeing sense of oh, you can do whatever you want. It's a limited rule set, so that you can do whatever you want. The best groups I ever played was one is you don't bring your books. Really, you don't bring your books. That's fascinating. If you have your character sheets, why do you need your books? I don't need to go argue a rule. I mean, yeah. That's actually I'm very just saying, That's I, a very I, interesting I, idea. I don't think I, I've ever, I've ever. Of course, as the retailer part, I should just hit myself for saying that. But, <laughs> well, and, yeah, but I still have the book at home. But different, but different books, different aspects and approaches work for different people. Some people really like the intent, you know, the the variety of, of material you can get. It's like me collecting the Lord of the Rings stuff. I just collect it for the information. I just love reading it. I'm yeah. not necessarily using it all or, or ever going to utilize it all. But I love reading this stuff. I love delving into it. I love looking at how they develop things and how these things interact together and, and, and all these, these different aspects of it. But on the other hand, when I come to the gaming table, I some of the best groups, as I said, I've ever played with is you have your character sheets, you have your dice, the DM has a screen, he has a lot of his stuff, probably handwritten notes behind there, maybe today an iPad, which of course you could put your books on if you really wanted to. But None of the players opening their books and going, oh, well, I thought I'm, as I said, page, you know, 55 is this, or page, you know, yeah. whatever, it's that. Yeah. I mean, um, you could, you could put your spells I, on, a, that's, on a card, right? That's Please. what I find enjoyable when it comes to role playing. That's actually a really great idea. I, I do like that idea. Yeah, actually. I think, I, you know, because you can write your discipline powers or your spells or your rogue f- tricks or whatever on a card. Look, well, look at one of the, one of our best-selling accessories, and I, like, right now, and of course, it sounds like I'm not going to plug it, but... I guess in a sense... Go for it, man. It's all good. Don't worry about it. In a sense is 
one of the best-selling accessories we carry are the spell cards for D&D. It's one of the best-selling products that I've seen in a long time as far as an accessory goes, and it sells out as fast as they print more. And it's because I can now bring my spells on a card to the table, um, just ones I have, and just have them there. I'm right there. I don't Again, I don't have to go back to the book. If I mean, I have it all resourced right there. Yeah. Of course, when I... Going back to when I was younger, and you bring your character sheet, you either had the information in your character sheet or you knew it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot okay. of stuff was so basic, you knew it. You just knew it. Or you just made little notes on your character sheet, and you were done. Wait, uh, you knew exactly what that fireball did yes. when you cast it. Well, like, I've been pushing Lamentations of the Flame Princess really hard. I've been, I've, been, I've been buying copies of that for everybody I know for their birthday. And um, you get the, the 1 through 20 like level advancement on uh, Lamentations character sheet. There's not a lot going on. There is no, not a no lot. not at all. Yeah. But you also have to remember from the other side of the coin is that a lot of these great companies that put out a lot of good to very good role-playing books are companies themselves. And they're not going to survive on one or two books generally that they've done in the past. The old axiom of publish or perish is very true when it comes to these companies, which is why they have such a great range of products. And I'm just saying that while a lot of those I use for source materials, and I'm glad that they do this and those are available, for me, when it comes to the group, the best groups I've played in, most of the time are you throw you don't the dm has already the thing set he's gathered the information he needs yeah. for the session he's all a good dm is ready to go a little bit off this way or that way if the group decides to go the totally opposite way of where you want them to go i don't believe in forcing the group to go there well if they're not going to go there then we'll do something over here that that's great yeah because as a good dm you're going to kind of wean them back to the original <laughs> goal some way or another you might have to lure them or you might have to twist them a little bit but they're going to get back to the main adventure anyway one way or another and the games more enjoyable when you don't have people sitting there thumbing through the books all the whole adventure or yeah. as you said pounding yeah, you know on what? the page oh. well, here on page <laughs> i'm definitely thinking about that as a player too just like just sort of like the weird interruption it is to have people like Constantly, like, flipping mm -hmm. and doing whatever yeah. else. But so I can definitely see that. But why do you think... I mean, that's how Pathfinder came, kind of came around, if you look at it, was they, Paizo had done many products in, for D&D, &D, and, in fact, they were publishing the Dragon Magazine there mm -hmm, for a while. Mm -hmm. And, and it was, then it, it got was to a the great point run that they were going to move beyond that, and they saw an opportunity. Well, wait a second. Let's step back a little bit. There's so much product and so many things that we've thrown at people for 3.5 that if we trim some of that out, we can actually make this game better and we can make a better go at it. And, and you know, they did. Oh, I think that uh, Pathfinder is a great addition. I love it. I love Pathfinder, you know? And for me, I don't, I'm not a person that does a lot of collection of rule books. I don't need rules. I can come up with armor. I can come up with you know, monsters, I can come up with all these things. I like stories. Yeah. And that goes probably back to the, my love of reading when I started as a kid. My grandfather used to send me books for my birthday and for Christmas. I mean, when I was six, I, I received my first book. And um, every year I got a couple of books from him. Some, some of the early books I read, Red Badge of Courage, Johnny Tremaine, Swiss Family Robinson, A Catcher in the Rye. I mean, all sorts of, of 
and a lot of them are you know a lot of them are classics yeah but my love of reading now goes into the role play i love reading a story i love looking at the thought that's went into developing these backgrounds that they have i love reading these characters and how they interact with each other how they interact with the setting how they interact with the world you know i guess that why we role play because we like that type of stuff. There's Definitely. something about it, right? There's something about role playing that's not like anything else. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is, but when I'm not doing it, I miss it. You know, and, w- and when I'm doing it and it's going well, I can feel it. I think it's just a great combination of things. It's creative, it's it's with friends, it's it's got all these wonderful things going for it that just sort of make it a great activity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I agree with everything you just said there. Well, and as I pointed out through the years, I mean, I went through many years of a lot of negative publicity over anything that had to do with D&D. Uh, the satanic panic, is that what well, you're talking about? you can call it that, but really what it was, was I need to find a reason why my child, my friend, my brother, my sister, whatever it was, has taken this direction in their life that they've taken. Okay. So I need to find something to blame. Well, here's something that looks like it's on the fringe. You know, was sometimes it was music, sometimes it was what they read, but you know, of course, if it was easy, oh, there's a D and D book, there it is too. That, that can be the cause. I remember watching a, a news story once, and they were talking about um, some guy that was mutilating cats in the Awatuki neighborhood, and they finally arrested him. Of course, what does the news pan down to? The fact that in this pile of stuff he has, he has a D&D book. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. One D&D book in this entire, you know, he's got records and books and drawings and all these things, but what is the news focused on? And this was even later past kind of the uh, kind of paranoia period that this thing was going to subvert and, you know, make you weird or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's gone through a lot of phases like that, like uh, the weird, like, drugs mixing with uh, with with gaming and people's fears about that too. So drugs didn't exist before? No, but but certainly the effects of taking LSD were magnified, I guess, by playing Dungeons and Dragons as well. well you <laughs> or how about just looking at the sky? I mean, I, 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 no, I don't. it's not something I've ever done from that aspect, but I'm sure that your art, um, TV, the sky even, or the books, yeah, any of it could magnify, be a magnifying effect. But it's not the cause of something. It's just something that exists. And I, I just remember remember when I told when my parents found out I was I had started role playing. They're like, "You're not doing acid." Should I never assume that? But well, well you, gotta, they, you it, have to it, make sure you go outside and. That was one of the like. <laughs> play, right? That was one of the news stories about the kids who who did like acid while they're playing Dungeons and Dragons and like hacked each other up or something in like a sewer somewhere. You know, oh right, yeah. It, it just sort of been around in that point. Of time. That's one of those like folklore, folkloric stories. It's funny because Mike Stackpole and I used to have really in-depth discussions about that. Um, Mike, for a while, was an advocate for for trying to help debunk some of the um, rumors and stories and things. Now, some of them have inklings of truth in them. Some. You know, they all but, sound but ridiculous to me for the most part. But but most of them are, are definitely stretched way out of proportion. Yeah. And is it, I mean, what do you want to blame? Do you want to blame the music he was listening to? Um, do you want to blame, you know, nowadays we blame, you know, we put the finger on mental illness. And a lot of times that is an, an aspect of it. 
but we don't know what makes people's brains click all the time and you know they're focused on something let's face it people are, tend to be somewhat obsessive about lots of things sure whether it be mountain biking or playing D D or um fantasy sports or <laughs> no but i'm just hey, saying was that a gesture people me? love yeah but but people love to get involved in sure the, I, mean, I know people that look forward to going and launching their model rockets every weekend or, or flying the remote controlled airplanes or as i said mountain biking or fishing mm-hmm. or going scuba diving or playing that board game or that miniature game or you know online game whatever it is you know we we tend to immerse ourselves in into those types of entertainment because that's really what it is now there are some people that come to the point where they can't distinguish between what's entertainment or not reality and and reality and you know that's maybe where we have to but that's more of a function of of their human condition rather than like a function of of like the trappings around it right and a book is just words yeah i mean i learned that a long time ago um yes people can manipulate people with words or hurt people with words and things like that but to me a book is is just words and it's what you try to take away from it or what you try to twist it or interpret from it that sometimes is is the effect not not just because they're there well i mean i think that we've all had to kind of like deal with that we kind of like labor through that as gamers you know i mean the uh, history of our hobby has just been kind of strangely sort of like interwoven with this weird epoch of history and i mean as a as a kid growing up i mean my parents had that same thing like oh we, we should go outside and run around more and you know I don't, I don't know about that but then um my mom she was definitely like she was convinced that like uh uh, uh dungeons and dragons was going to make me worship the devil especially once i started collecting the vampire books i mean oh my god she just went over the edge then I, I, I could just imagine. <laughs> yeah, right. She was like, it's ghoulish. That's what she would say. It's ghoulish. I was like, yeah, well, that's kind of the point. But, I mean, I, I don't know. Look at me now. I turned out fine. You uh, did. You turned uh, out <laughs> <laughs> A cautionary We, we can tale. laugh, but he turned out fine. You really did, Brandon. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm I mean. I'm proud of you and Ben and the way all you guys have grown up. So Thank you for saying so, man. That. Yeah, that means a lot. That means a lot coming from you. But, um, when it. But gaming is just sometimes an escape, sometimes a form of entertainment, but it's also got a lot of positive aspects. And we've tried to stress that through the years. And a lot of people, underst- at least parents, seem to understand that you get, you get the ability to socialize with other people. You have social interaction. Is it always going to be positive? No, but even you and I just talking, you know, whether in the locker room or on the street or hanging out by the school, it's not always going to be a positive social interaction. Sure. But... We're learning to socially interact with other people. We're learning to hopefully come out of our shell a little bit so we can do so. Um, a lot of times we're we're learning to strategize. We're learning to um, play and manipulate numbers. I mean, sure. this we're, is we're true. learning history. We're, we're learning all these different things. Yeah. Um, it involves us in reading. Yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, role-playing games have dragged me into so many intellectual pursuits and some of them like you i'm sort of like a history buff guy uh certainly i mean to the point that i have a history degree you know and when i was in college i would take history classes that i thought would go well with the vampire games i wanted to run because i wanted to learn about the eras in which i wanted to run vampire games you know and um and and i've 
I, I have a learning disability in, in, in math. I've always just considered math to be this, like, thing that I don't care about and, like, just push it to the side. And um, well, that's one of the reasons I got so into White Wolf Gaming is it seemed so – it seemed on the surface like it was very non-mathy. But after, like, decades of role-playing with Ben, who is a very math-oriented individual, he has – he's pushed me so hard – and I've learned so much more math, and I've learned so much more how to look at the world in a way where you quantify things. I mean, that never would have happened without gaming, you know? Yeah, that's that's true. That, that's a very good explanation for that. Yeah, it, and uh, as I said, gaming is like anything. It's what you take out of it. And I think there's a lot of positiveness to be um, from it. And it's not just role-playing. It's board gaming. It's miniature gaming. Again, all these things are interaction. It, it's... You sit down with other people face to face. You're in a room with people. You you meet different people. You you try out different games. You um, learn strategies. You 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 learn all sorts of things from it. And, ha- and some of it has more meaning that can help you somewhere else and other aspects of your life than you can even think about it. Well, I mean, if I could th- if I could say that there's been a force that has shaped my life, it would definitely be gaming. You know, I mean, it's given me my friends. It's given me like this extended family. It's given me so many hours of of imagining and just worlds to inhabit. I mean, it, it's kind of like you know how um, like two trees grow, grow close to one another, right? And their branches get all tangled up, and their roots get all tangled up. And at a certain point. You don't really know which one is which. They're really just one thing. I mean, to take the gaming out of Brendan would mean that Brendan, as a as a construct, does not exist. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I would not be me Very without it. I like that analogy, actually. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it like uh, like I am gaming in a certain way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it, it is me. You know, I I. I, I I, I I don't I don't exist outside of it with in a certain sense like Philip K Dick kind of like way you know. Well, I I understand what you're saying, but you still exist outside of it. But it has shaped a lot of yeah how and who you become exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh uh, no, I love it. I it used to bum me out. Don't get me wrong. I used to hate it. I used to be I used to be these closet nerds that, like carried I carried it around. Oh, I remember wow. some of those phases <laughs> with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you know, we are drawn to a close here. Um, I think it's been that a wonderful. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly learned some things about Dave I never knew, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed Sorry that. Sorry I talked too much. No, 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 no. no, no. Our, our listeners are in for a treat. Yeah, indeed. This has been an evening of magical storytelling. This has been like the... This oh, e- magic, that's a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is, this has been like a really great session, you know what I'm saying, where you just get transported to a different place. Um, and I think that our listeners will connect with that. Well, and I really appreciate the opportunity you guys gave me to um, go ahead and speak in this forum. And um, I, th- I think what you guys are doing are, is awesome. And um, I hope you really continue it and, and move forward from here. Thank you very much, Thank Dave. You, Dave. Thank you, Dave. And you are always welcome at this table. I want you to know that. Always. As I said, magic's a totally different story. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, signing off for uh, Full Metal RPG. We're at, we're at Game Depot, um, our FLGS in Tempe, Arizona. Um, and it's been a great night. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. Good night. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of Full Metal RPG. This episode features music by Legion with Missile Planes and Our Lady of Shadows with 
Luciferian dreams in the City of Angels. Follow Full Metal RPG on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Full Metal RPG is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes. If you enjoy the show, please consider giving us a positive review. We can be reached at fullmetalrpgofficial at gmail.com. That's one word. Thanks again for listening. Have a great night.